Chapter 6 of Five Mice in a Mouse Trap by the Man in the Moon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marcus Locke. Five Mice in a Mouse Trap by the Man in the Moon by Laura E. Richards. Chapter 6 A Night Journey. This has been a fine day, I said, as I sat down by Bright Eyes's pillow. Certainly it cannot be said that you five mice spend your time in idleness. The only wonder is that your uncle's hair has not turned gray from anxiety long before this. I never saw such mice. Positively, Poon Chin is nothing to you. And who is Poon Chin? asked Bright Eyes. And who are you, if you please? Poon Chin is a Chinese mouse, I mean boy. I replied, and I am the man in the moon. I live in a silver palace, and then I told her all about myself, as I had told Downy and the twins the night before, but Bright Eyes was much more excited about it all than the little ones had been. Very little children take everything for granted, I find, like my friend little Mary West, who, when a great green frog jumped right into her lap the other day, as she was sitting by the brook, merely said, Poor frog wanted to sit down was tired. Oh, cried Bright Eyes, how delightful, how perfectly delightful. And are you really true, or am I only dreaming you? And what is your name? And may I call Nibble? One thing at a time, I replied. I certainly am true, as true as moonshine. As for dreaming me, why, that depends on what you call dreaming, you know. And as for my name, <laughs> can you pronounce Bumfkimgith, for example? That is the name of my dog, and it is a good name, too. No, said Bright Eyes, I certainly cannot. It sounds like sneezing and barking and whistling all at once. Exactly, I replied. That is the language of the dog star. But my name is very much harder than that, so there really would be no use in me telling it to you. There are 24 J's in it and 17 G's, so you may imagine that it is difficult. The other children call me Mr. Moonman, and you may as well do so too. As for Nibble, I continued, if he sleeps in this little room close by, it is an easier matter to call him. Whisk, just ask that boy's bed if it will please step in here, will you? The good beam did his errand quickly, and in another moment the two beds stood side by side, and shook casters in a very friendly manner. Nibble, who was as fast asleep as heart could desire, was very much astonished as Bright Eyes introduced him to me, and told him all the wonderful things she had heard. "'But how did you get down here?' he asked. "'Did you come on a falling star?' "'No,' I replied. "'I always ride on my own beams, which are much more manageable and swifter as well. "'Why, I can go round the world in two whisks of a comet's tail.' "'Oh, oh!' cried Nibble. Mr. Moonman, don't you think you could let me ride on one sometime? I could ride very well. Indeed I can. Uncle Jack lets me ride Castor sometimes, and even Jose never can get me off, unless he lies down and rolls. Oh, please let me ride on a moonbeam. It would be so jolly. Jolly enough, but not quite safe enough, my young friend, said I. It is very easy to ride on a moonbeam when one knows how, but very different when one does not. There are, however, other ways of getting about. A nice little cloud is what you want. 
I looked out of the window, but not a cloud was to be seen in the sky. Oh dear, said the mice. We should so like to have a ride, Mr. Moonman. Couldn't you take us on your moonbeam? We would sit very still and not say a word. And you shall have a ride, I said, but not on whisk. Run now to your uncle's bureau, and bring me from the top drawer two of his largest silk handkerchiefs. Yes, that was soon done. Now, whisk, said I, there must be some little winds about here with nothing special to do. See if you cannot find some who are willing to give these mice a ride. Off went whisk through the window, and back he came in a moment with seven merry little winds, all ready for a frolic. They had sung all the birds and all the flowers to sleep, they said, and had been sitting under a tree, whistling for something to do. And now nothing would give them greater pleasure than to blow the two little heavy ones. For I am sorry to tell you, children, that you are all known by that name among the lively spirits of the air, wherever they liked to go. That is well, then, said I. And where will you go, you two mice? To China, said Nibble. Oh, yes, to China, cried Bright Eyes. Then we can see Poon Shin, the naughty boy you spoke of, and you can tell us more about him as we go along. Yes, yes, to China, said Nibble again, and he began to dance wildly around the room as if nothing would stop him. At last the two mice were ready for their long journey through the air. China it is, then, I said. Spread the handkerchiefs out on the window sill. That's right. Now sit down on them so. Now, little winds, blow steadily, and off we go. Ah, that was a ride worth taking, you may believe. Away through the soft May night, over the treetops, over the hilltops, the two mice, half frightened, half delighted, sitting cross-legged on their handkerchiefs, like two little Turks, and the merry little winds puffing away with might and main, while Whisk and I led the way, and lighted it too. Yes, it was a pretty sight, had there been anyone there to see it. But if you had been there yourself, you would only have said, See those two great white owls, how fast they fly! Now we came to the sea. Hundreds of my beams were there sparkling over the shining water, and playing with the little waves, which put up their faces, each in its white nightcap, and laughed and danced merrily. They called to the seven winds and said, Come down and play with us. But the winds said, no, no, we have work to do now. We can be very steady fellows when we choose, though you might not think it. And they puffed away bravely, to the great relief of Nibble and Bright Eyes, who had been wondering what would become of them if the merry winds should take a fancy to play with the waves. Now they began to sing, the seven winds, and the waves answered them as they leaped and danced, and this was the song they sang. Ever singing, ever sighing, ever floating, ever flying, over land and sea bringing summer's glow and gladness, bringing winter's snow and sadness, merry winds are we. Greeting all with soft caresses, shaking out the maiden's tresses till she laughs with glee, whispering to the bonny flowers, fanning them through sultry hours, merry winds are we. Then the waves tossed up their nightcaps and sang, ever coming, ever going, ever ebbing, ever flowing, children of the sea, creeping o'er the silver beaches, Foaming o'er the rocky reaches, merry waves are we. Blue and golden in the sunlight, gray and silver in the moonlight, beautiful to see. Giving back each star its brightness, giving back each cloud its whiteness, merry waves are we. That is charming, said Bright Eyes. Dear little winds, how sweetly you sing, and how strange that we have never heard you before. 
Look, cried Nibble, what is that that shines so over yonder? Is it a sail? Yes, it was a sail, and as we came nearer, we saw a stately ship sailing slowly along. All her crew seemed to be asleep, except one man who was pacing up and down the deck. He looked up as we passed and cried, Hi, albatrosses, how queerly they are flying. Wake up, shipmate, and look at those birds. But before any of the sailors were awake, we were flying far away, while the winds and the waves sang together, Wake the ship and shake the ship, and over the sea we will take the ship, filled with oranges, candy, and toys, some for the girls and some for the boys. Oh, is it really? asked Nibble. I wish I had some. This flying makes one hungry. But here now was the land again. We bade farewell to the merry waves and flew along over the sleeping country. The lights of a great city lay before us. Let us fly lower, said Bright Eyes, and then we can peep into some of the windows and see the people asleep. That is not very safe, I replied. In these great cities there are plenty of people awake all night, and it would never do for us to be shot at, you know. Just then a puff of smoke from a tall chimney came up and got into the children's eyes and noses, and so they were glad to fly higher, where the air was pure and fresh. We passed over vast and gloomy forests, where the solemn pines bowed slightly as the seven winds swept by, and over the green meadows, where flocks of sheep lay huddled together fast asleep. As we went further and further eastward, the darkness began to fade. In China it will be broad daylight, I said, and Whisk and I shall fade almost out of sight, but we shall still be with you, so you need feel no alarm. Are we near China now? asked Bright Eyes. And you have not told us about Pun Chin, Mr. Moon Man. To be sure, I answered. What an excellent memory this mouse has. Well, we may very likely see Pun Chin, and then you shall judge for yourself. The last time I saw him, he had just painted his little brother bright green from head to foot, and was telling him that his father would chop him up into little bits and sow him for grass seed. The poor little boy was very much frightened, as you may imagine. Yes, he is a bad fellow for mischief, that boy. But now we must fly lower, I added, for we are over China now. Use your eyes well, my little mice, and see all that you can see, for there is no knowing when you will be here again. The mice did use their eyes well, and indeed there were many strange things to look at. Green rice fields with bright streams of water flowing through them made the country beautiful. Pagodas and temples, gaily painted and gilded, glittered in the sun, and the queer, narrow streets were filled with people dressed in strange garments of blue, red, and yellow. They all carried large paper umbrellas covered with gay figures. In one street we saw a boy sitting on a queer sort of gate. Three dogs were fastened to this gate by their tails, and as they leaped about in their efforts to free themselves, the gate swung to and fro, thus saving the boy the trouble of swinging himself. Now a man came slowly along the street, reading a paper attentively, and thinking of nothing else. Just as he was passing the gate, however, the boy made a sudden spring, and alighting on the man's shoulders, knocked him flat in the muddy street. Then springing up again like a flash, he resumed his place on the gate, and looked as innocent as a lamb. But the man picked himself up slowly, and turning round, poured a torrent of angry words on the sportive youth. "'Child of perdition!' he cried. May the red dragon make his next meal of thee, and use thy bones for chopsticks. My life is of no value to me on account of thy tormentings. 
Am I never to be left in peace? The boy, smiling sweetly, was about to reply, but at that moment a woman who was passing by happened to look up and caught sight of the two red silk handkerchiefs in the air with nibble and bright eyes on them. Me they could not see, nor the seven winds, but the children were plainly visible, and very funny they must have looked. Hop wang, cried the woman, look up quickly and see these strange things in the sky. It is some fearful sign from the gods, I fear. Hop Wang looked up and started, but instead of being frightened, he showed every sign of delight. The red dragon, the red dragon, he cried. Do you not see the fluttering of his wings? Indeed, the winds were blowing the corners of the handkerchiefs, which were almost as large as small tablecloths, in every direction to screen the two children, so that they really did look rather like flapping wings. I have prayed to the big idol, he continued, addressing the woman. Ever since this imp of wickedness here set fire to my beautiful pigtail and burned it off to send one of his strong dragons to carry off my tormentor. And now my prayers are answered, and the red dragon, strongest of all, is here. Hukaloo! Hukaloo! And he danced with delight. But his joy was short-lived. The boy, as soon as he heard the words red dragon, and saw the fluttering wings, turned three somersaults in succession, and was out of sight in the twinkling of a satellite. And I, thinking that distance would lend enchantment to the view, and to be out of danger, begged the winds to blow the handkerchiefs up a mile or so. Accordingly, the bright vision receded gradually from the sight of the disappointed Chinaman, and finally vanished, leaving him very disconsolate, and once more at the mercy of his tormentor. Mr. Moonman, said Bright Eyes, as we rose slowly through the clean air. Well, Mouse Bright Eyes, I said, what is it? Was that Pun Chin? That was Pun Chin, I replied. I thought so, said Bright Eyes, and she was silent for some time, thinking, perhaps, of the tail feathers of the sixty-five parrots. How delightful it will be, said Nibble, to tell Uncle Jack and the Twinnies about this wonderful ride. Just think how surprised they will be. There is a slight difficulty about that, I replied, which is that you will not remember in the morning a single thing that has happened tonight. Oh, oh, cried both the children. How can that be possible, Mr. Moonman? We could not forget all these wonderful things, even if we tried, and we do not want to try. That is all very well, I replied, but it will make no difference whether you try or not, for all will be as I say. If you had carried a sprig of the sea flower in your hands, it might have been otherwise, but I take care never to give that to children remembering what trouble my cousin Patty once had from doing that very thing. Who is your cousin Patty? asked Nibble. Pray tell us about her. The little winds nodded their heads. We know all about her, they said. She is the sea fairy and lives in the palace which is hollowed out of a single pearl under the Indian Ocean. There are fine things there, Father Moonman. You are right, I said, and some night these two mice shall pay her a visit and see for themselves. But as I was saying, she got into trouble once by giving a sprig of the sea flower to a little boy of whom she was very fond. I took him down to see her one night, and she gave him many beautiful things, among them a pair of diamond trousers. Diamond trousers? exclaimed Nibble. Who ever heard of such things? There are many things which you have not heard of, I replied, and one seems to be that you are not to interrupt when other people are speaking. Nibble hung his head and was silent. 
She gave him, I continued, a pair of diamond trousers, which shone as brightly as Whisk does when he shakes himself. The boy, a little English fellow named Arthur, was of course very much delighted, and putting the trousers on, he capered all about the place, kicking his little legs up and down to make the diamonds sparkle more and more. Now there is a rule among all the light ones, as we are called to distinguish us from human beings, that no heavy one shall ever be allowed to take anything away from him when he comes to see us. It is a very necessary rule, for there would be all kinds of trouble without it. So on this occasion, if Patty had not given little Arthur the sea flower, all would have been well. He would have enjoyed his diamond trousers while he was under the sea, and when he woke up in the morning he would not have known anything about them. But the poor little boy, having the sea flower in his hand, woke up with his head full of the past night, and fully expecting to find the diamond trousers hanging over the back of a chair close by his bed. When he looked, therefore, and saw nothing but his little brown knickerbockers, with a patch on one knee, it was a bitter disappointment. His first thought was that his beautiful present was stolen, and he began to scream and cry, Where are my diamond trousers? Somebody has stolen them! Stop, thief! They are mine! And Patty gave them to me! Well, his mother hearing those cries, came in, and on hearing the child's story, she thought he had gone mad, and was very anxious about him. Still, he cried and screamed for his diamond trousers. But suddenly, as he raised his hand to push away the chair on which the despised brown knickerbockers lay, he dropped the sea flower. Instantly, everything about Patty and the diamond trousers passed out of his mind like a flash of lightning, and looking up at his mother, he said, What was I crying about, Mama? Isn't it time to get up? And his mother said, Yes, my darling, it is high time to get up, and I think you have had the nightmare, Arthur dear. So you see, I continued, that it is not at all a wise thing to give the sea flower to little people like you. But bless me, here we are at the mousetrap again. Now, my mice, creep into your nests, say goodbye to the little winds, and thank them for blowing you so far, for they must be tired. Oh, thank you, thank you, dear little winds, cried the two mice. We have had such a glorious ride, and we are so much obliged, and thank you too, dear Mr. Moonman. Will you come every night, please, and tell us more wonderful things? We will see about that, I replied. Every night is very often, and there are many other children who look for me. But I will come soon again, I promise you. Now good night, and a pleasant waking to you. And as Whisk and I flew upward, we heard the seven little winds singing softly as they swung to and fro in the grapevine outside the nursery window. The birds may sleep, but the winds must wake, early and late for the birdies' sake, kissing them, fanning them, soft and sweet, e'en till the dark and dawning meet. The flowers may sleep, but the winds must wake, early and late for the flowers' sake, rocking the buds on the rose-mother's breast, swinging the hyacinth bells to rest. The children may sleep, but the winds must wake, early and late for the children's sake. Singing so sweet in each little one's ear, he thinks his mother's own song to hear. The rain came down from the sky, and we asked it the reason why it would ne'er stay away on washing day to let our poor clothes get dry. The rain came down to the ground with a chattering, pelting sound. Indeed, if I stayed till you called me, it said, I should not come all the year round. 
End of chapter 6. Recording by Marcus Locke.